Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and welcome to my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore the LDS scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. I'm a longtime gospel doctrine teacher, sometime institute and seminary teacher, and a current theology student. My friends and I are often discussing history, context, and theology, and thought that you might appreciate it too. I think of it as a bridge between academic and inspiration. However, these opinions are my own and not an official representation of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks again for listening, and I hope this will be a blessing to you on the road to discipleship. Welcome back, Scriptorians. We are headed into Come Follow Me for Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So we're in the beginning of October right now, for those of you who are in 2019, and we are moving right along with the letters. Now we're coming in a general conference, so for most of us, this will just be part of our general personal study. So that's awesome. So let's here's what we're going to do today. We're going to go through all about. So this is the part where we don't dig in quite so much into verse by verse, but we're going to take a step back and talk about context uh, and some other, uh, some different things to talk about today that will help us in understanding uh, different structures of letters and particularly poetry because we have some poems. All right, so let's jump on board and learn about Ephesians. First, I thought what we should do is talk about a little bit the history of this book and when it was written and when we find it and where, where kind of a, a Ephesus is. So the city of Ephesus is just in Turkey. And last week, I know I said Anatolia, which is Turkey, and then said Greece, because we were talking about Galatians. They are both in modern day Turkey. So that was just a misspeak by me or Anatolia. But Ephesus is a port town, which is way over on the west side. And so it's kind of the southwest uh, side, and it has a little inlet that goes in by it. But it was a major, major port town. And in fact, it was a super hub for Greek culture and religion. And one of the most famous things that is there in Ephesus um, is this temple to the goddess Artemis, or which is her Greek name, or her Roman name, Diana. So the same goddess, different names, if you're Greek or Roman, but it was a huge, huge temple. And that temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So if you think of uh, just a standard Greek, gigantic, column, beautiful building, um, much like we even do today, or even bigger than the Parthenon. It's it's that kind of building, and it was just to Artemis or Diana. And so one thing that really stands out with this city is that the, the women and men had, there was a lot of priesthood that were women, uh, so the priestesses, because it was this worship of Diana. So there was a lot more equality than we'll see in other places, even so much that they may have been dominant. So you will see some of the letters um, back to Timothy and some of the other. Uh, Timothy is going to end up being kind of the bishop of this area later. And you're going to see where they have problems, <laughs> um, where the women, probably these ex-priestesses and very bossy women and things, darn those women, they are uh, taking over. And there's not a lot of equality in this case for the men. So uh, turnabout is fair play. But so you'll see some of this where it's like women, you shouldn't talk in church and some of that is all coming from this culture where they worshipped there. And so culturally, we think that it was probably not a general rule for the church. It was probably uh, a, a problem that they had because of this church in Ephesus. Additionally, if you go back to 
Acts chapter 19. That is where we learn where Paul spent some time here in Ephesus. It was one of his major missionary areas. In fact, he spent probably two years here. So if you want to go back and read a little bit and brush up about Acts 19, it will make more sense. But pretty early on, he hits Ephesus and then he's gone. And he writes this letter probably while he was in prison in Rome. So this is probably in the 60s, like 60 or 62 that he writes the letter and he dies not too long after that. So um, and then another thing we know about Ephesus uh, in kind of the timeline is that Paul, when he's returning to Jerusalem and then all the way to Rome on his last trip, he talks about the uh, the people come out. He can't go back there. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, he can't go back there because he's caused a riot, a riot, good old Paul. And he, uh, but the, the members there love him so much that they meet him and they, they, they kneel before him and they weep and they have a prayer meeting, um, all to kind of send him on his way to Jerusalem. And he says, I won't be back. So here is their founder and their apostle and their missionary. And, uh, they love him deeply. So the, these are the people of Ephesus. This is the church that he begins. He's the kind of the founder. Uh, we think Peter went there too, uh, and maybe even John. Now, there's some apocryphal stuff, but if you want to speculate, they think maybe the Mother Mary may be retired there as well as John. Uh, Patmos isn't too far from there where John uh, wrote Revelation. So maybe, but we don't know that. Uh, but that is definitely in the uh, the history books a little bit that that was a belief at the time. So anyway, Ephesus, big, big city, a big port city, super Greek. Um, and in fact, when it was settled, uh, like 13th century BC, very, it's been there a very long time at this point. Um, there are all kinds of myths about it being settled by the Greek gods and being led to this specific place. And so it's this uh, has just a lot of history, which will help us understand some of the challenges that they were having. This is not a very Jewish city. It's a very Greek and Roman city, right? Especially if you think about that big temple to Artemis or Diana. All right. All right. So that's where Paul, that's where Paul is writing. And again, he founded it and Ephesus, big port city, very Greek. So pretty cool stuff. Uh, all right. Let's talk about the structure for a second. So that's kind of a little bit of the history and it's going to be really important to remember Timothy the, uh, the temple to Artemis and how much they loved him. Uh, there was one more historical thing that I wanted to remind us of, and that was the story in Acts. So in Acts is the story of Demetrius and the silversmiths. So Demetrius, couldn't have a more Greek name there. Demetrius, they kind of run Paul out of town because they, uh, if you remember the story, I'm paraphrasing poorly, but uh, Demetrius and the silversmiths, they make little goddesses of Artemis or Diana, right? They make these little silver um, shrines and, and little tchotchke things. And so if he's starting to have a, a lot of conversion to Christianity, they are no longer pagans. And this was a big, also, this was a big pilgrimage town, right? So people would come from all over the Greek and Roman world to come and worship here. And if he's having this much success, then it's, it's poking into their trade, right? They're not making as much money. So this is where they, they run him out of town is the story of Demetrius. And at some point we think it might be the story of, uh, uh, Galatians 2, he starts a riot and he's kicked out and that's why he can't go back. So he definitely, uh, it sounds like Paul had a hard time in Ephesus, uh, just with the other people, the, um, the Gentiles that, that were really threatened as the church really blossomed here. And it does, it becomes a very big hub of Christianity. So there's, there's that. Let's talk about structure then. Let me turn over to that. So there are only about six chapters. So this is a really easy one to read. 
as far as time. So you can put a lot of time on this one for this week. Uh, but there are two distinct halves. And it's pretty easy because it's right down the middle. So the first half, chapters one through three, uh, Paul is going to uh, really talk about the gospel story. So he's going to open and, and kind of go into this poem, which we'll talk about in a minute. But he starts with a poem through about... He does an introduction and then his typical introduction, love the letter, an introduction of a letter. And then he goes in verse three through 14 as a poem. And he's going to talk about uh, what God has done in Christ, right? What, he, what, what this plan was, this gospel story. And he's going to refer back to, to Acts chapter two and the Pentecost when the spirit came. So we're going to go through that. He's also going to have a prayer. He's going to have an, so it's interesting. It goes from a poem to a prayer. Right. So in some of the other letters, it's like chastisement and different things. And so here's this really different style um, that he's going to write him. And he's going, so that's kind of chapter one. And then in chapter two, he's going to move on to some concepts about grace and how to be part of this new gospel family. And he even wraps it up in chapter three with uh, his own role, that he is this apostle to the Gentiles, right? Even though he's Jewish, he's this one that's called out, uh, which is uh, one who is sent. That's the name apostle, this one, a sent one. Um, so the apostles, he's this apostle to the Gentiles, and he hopes that they start to understand the spirit and the love that Christ has for them, and that will bind them together as this new family. And then the second half, and it's linked together by the word, therefore, so you'll see this big change from one to one to three, and then it's therefore, and you jump right into chapters four through six. Now, four through six, you're going to get kind of the story of um, the people here. So it's kind of like, hey, this is our new story. So he's going to talk about this one faith, one God, one baptism, right? And that unity doesn't mean uniformity. He's going to talk about how there are different gifts of the spirit and different roles, whether it's apostle or prophet or teacher, and that all of these things are to build up the church. And then he talks, uh, we're going to get into this, but he'll talk about the new temple and Christ being at the head of this new humanity. Remember, this is the gospel message is that heaven is here, right? The new kingdom is here and it begins now. And so he's going to reiterate that, which is super uh, gospels. That's just like Matthew all over the place. And then he's going to go uh, move onward to kind of these signs of the spirit and how we change. We we change from this, you know, one list of things and we move to a better list of things. So we'll hit that in chapter four, kind of our old selves and now our new selves as Christians. And again, signs of the spirit as well as what it does about our house, right? Just very practical things. And then we hit one of our favorites, uh, the armor of God, put on the whole armor of God is here. And we'll want to go back to Isaiah 11, 49 and 59. When we get to that, if you have never done that with um, armor of God. Okay, so that's kind of our structure. Remember, it's two halves. They're uh, one through three. And then the word therefore links to chapters four through six. So that is the first part that I wanted to go through on the structure. So we get a little bit of history. Don't forget our Acts chapter 19 and kind of what happened, as well as what the culture's like with the temple and the Greek and, and then some of the structure. Okay, so there's your first thing. Then let's take a pause and then I want to go through some of this poetry that we won't get through uh, unless we do it now. So I'm going to do a little bit on the poetry to show you how to help read and identify that. All right, so take a breath and let's jump over to that. One of the hardest things to see when we read the King James Version is structure like paragraphs or poetry 
like we do in English where we might put it in verse and it kind of is indented. But it, it is a little easier to see if you can uh, look at another version. And then once you see it, it's, it's a little bit easier. So one thing I want you to start watching for in your King James is... Uh, is reading instead of verse by verse try reading paragraph by paragraph and if you look at the verses you'll see the little paragraph symbol um, and that's that little p looking thing that has two lines instead of one and that that means it's the beginning of a paragraph so if you read a paragraph at the time um, they're the the translators are trying to tell you this is kind of one big concept and so that's one place to start and then the second is poetry now what i like to do is look at other translations because uh, because we're in chapters and verses in our Bibles, it's really hard to see. But um, other Bibles laid out a little bit differently. So nothing wrong with going to another version. The ESV, English Standard, is really easy. I like the New Revised Standard as well, NRSV in English. Um, I like the Reina Valera too in Spanish, for those of you Spanish speakers. And then I don't know other translations. Those are the ones I know. But uh, tons in English. But um, I like to use a tool called BibleGateway.com. And you can... Uh, go there for free online and then they have like a gazillion uh, bibles for free there and you can even line them up side by side so you can put king james um, and then you can put another translation if you want even different catholic translations so you can really try a lot of things and see they're not that different so don't be afraid of them but it helps so one of the things that helps is reading this verse as a poem and so the first part uh, is an introduction we've talked about that where he writes who he's writing to who, you know, who's the recipient, who, who he is, and then maybe a blessing. And so you're going to see that in the first couple verses. And then he moves right into this rushing stream of a kind of a poem. And then 15 on is kind of a prayer. So if you just kind of block that out, you'll see something. Something I want to point out in poetry and especially in in Hebrew poetry is they'll use a lot of parallels. Those could be the way the sentence is structured. Most of us are familiar with chiasmus where it kind of uh, is a parallel and goes to kind of a point in the middle. And that's kind of the main point. And then it, it parallels itself backwards. So if you don't know what that is, Google that. We'll talk about it one day. It's really hard to show you on a podcast. But uh, this one probably doesn't have a, a, a chiasmus, but it has a lot of parallels and a lot of repeating words. And so the feeling that you almost get from this next section is a is a rushing stream. And in fact, in Greek, it's kind of like, uh, not quite, but it's like one giant run-on sentence and so it gives us that feeling of just a stream of uh, 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 just flooded with information and repeated words so I'm going to read it to you I am reading from actually I'll switch over I'm going to read from King James um, but we'll try that all right so I'm just going to start in verse four uh, you know what I, I lied I'm not going to do King James when I look at it since you have that one I'm going to do the English standard and I'm doing exactly what I told you is I'm using BibleGateway.com. Okay. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to him as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, 
according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of his truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. I did you, could you kind of feel where there were kind of two big paragraphs in there? He really went to this, this first concept of the blessings of God and how God has chosen the people. Um, there's a tricky word in here, and it's one that uh, has come up in my theology classes multiple times, and that's either predestination. So you'll see that in verse five. And uh, so play with that. See what you think. What is he trying to say here about predestination? I'll come back to that in a second. And then the second half. So he's saying, hey, God wanted to bring us together in this fullness of time, and he's going to unite all things, heavens and earth, right? Just like the Lord's prayer, right? That heaven and earth may finally be as one, and that's all going to come through Christ, that this heavenly blessing, and he's chosen us, and we have chosen him. So he's going to kind of touch on that concept of, of election. And, and then he moves on to this inheritance, right? That we are going to have this hope and this spirit that's going to come on us. So read it. It's beautiful, but it has kind of a flow. So it is a little bit hard to catch. Let's talk about predestination uh, really quickly. And then I want to, uh, yeah, let's talk about that right now. So I was in a class, oh, last semester, maybe two semesters ago. And remember, this is not an LDS school. And we were uh, doing a uh, discussion, just a discussion with a professor. And he flipped to Ephesians and said, here's one of the most difficult and challenging verses uh, was the section we just read to interpret. And it was about predestination, meaning that people are literally chosen um, to be saved, uh, to be part of the Lord's gospel, uh, to be members of the church. And they, they deserve it somehow, but you had to be predestined. And, uh, and nobody, it's super un-American too. I'm sure it's most of the Western world for most of us. It's like that I'm just chosen. Like, Maybe it was the pre-mortal existence I did something, but it just feels kind of wrong. And yet here it is that you're predestined to be chosen. So he's like, what do you, you know, what do you think that means? And we had a discussion and, and everyone had some different ideas um, of what that meant. But I want you to look at it and say, what do you think he's saying here? Because we don't really believe in predestination. Like you're, no matter what you do, you know, you're in. That's kind of the predestination. So uh, pull that apart and see what you think he is saying there in this opening poem. Um, in the opening poem, I think the other thing that we want to look for is some repeated words and those parallels where he's, I feel like it's almost rushing, it's building, and then it builds and builds on top of each other, and you kind of get this theme. So I think the theme is the uni unity of everything under the Messiah, praising God for what he's done in Christ. And he's talking about we Jews, and how we were the, and then now you Gentiles, and together we're part of this new covenant family, right? So um, just in the past, it was that, and now um, it, it was Jews, and now it's Gentiles, and now we're all part of an ethnic, multi-ethnic family. And even for us, we're part across time as well, both the living and the dead, part of the same covenant family. 
all under uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we can experience the power that raised Christ from the dead, that we will see his forgiveness, we will see his grace, and we'll experience that power, uh, that the same power, the Spirit, is what raised Christ from the dead. So there you go. There is the poem. See if you can get there and then jump into the prayer as he moves on through the Spirit and see if that doesn't help you out. Well, we're out of time. So once again, we've run out of time on all about Ephesians. Uh, a challenge for you. Um, take a look at Ephesians and read through that first chapter and see if you don't see the poem in the prayer. See if you learn anything else about the word predestination. Wrestle with that. See what you think that means. And I do want to give a big shout out. We had our first listeners from China. Ni hao ma. We had some, a couple of Chinese listeners, and so I am just continually astounded by the response to the podcast. So thank you, one and all. I appreciate every one of you. You make this worthwhile. So blessings to you all, and we'll see you next time.